This is chapter 15 of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief. A God Buys His Cheeseburgers. The next afternoon, June 14th, seven days before the solstice, our train rolled into Denver. We hadn't eaten since the night before in the dining car, somewhere in Kansas. We hadn't taken a shower since Half Blood Hill, and I was pretty sure it was obvious. Let's try to contact Chiron, Anna Beth said. I want to tell him about your talk with the river spirit. We can't use phones, right? I'm not talking about phones. We wandered through downtown for about half an hour. Though I wasn't sure what Annabeth was looking for, the air was hot and dry, which felt weird after the humidity of St. Louis. Everywhere we turned, the Rocky Mountains seemed to be staring at me, like a tidal wave about to crash into the city. Finally, we found an empty do-it-yourself car wash. We veered towards the stall farthest from the street, keeping our eyes open for patrol cars. We were three adolescents hanging out in a car wash without a car. Any cop worth his donuts would figure out we're up to no good. What exactly are we doing? I asked as Grover took out the spray gun. It's 75 cents, he grumbled, and I've only got two quarters left. And Beth, don't look at me, she said. Dining car wiped me out. I fished out my last bit of change and passed Grover a quarter, which left me two nickels and one drachma from Medusa's place. Excellent, Grover said. We could do it with a spray bottle, of course, but the connection isn't as good. And my arm gets tired of pumping. What are you talking about? He fed the quarters and set the knob to find mist. I aming. Instant messaging? Iris messaging, Annabeth corrected. The rainbow goddess, Iris, carries God's messages. And if you know how to ask, and she's not too busy, she'll do the same for half-bloods. You summon the goddess with a spray gun. Grover pointed to the nozzle in the air, and water hissed out with a thick white mist. Unless you know an easier way to make a rainbow. Sure enough, late afternoon light filtered through the vapor and broke into colors. Annabeth held her palm out to me. Drachma, please. I handed it over. She raised the coin over her head. Oh, goddess, accept our offering. And then she threw the drachma into the rainbow, and it disappeared into a golden shimmer. Half-blood hill, Annabeth requested. For a moment, nothing happened. Then I was looking through the mist at a strawberry field, the Long Island sound in the distance. We seemed to be on the porch of the big house. Standing with his back to us at the railing was a sandy-haired guy in shorts and an orange tank top. He was holding a bronze sword and seemed to be staring intently at something in the meadow. Luke, I called. He turned, eyes wide. I could swear he was standing three feet in front of me through a screen of mist, except I could only see the part of him that appeared in the rainbow. Percy, his scarred face broke into a grin. Is that Annabeth too? Thank the gods. Are you guys okay? We're, uh, fine, Annabeth stammered. She was madly straightening her dirty t-shirt, trying to comb the loose ends out of her face too. We thought, Chiron, I mean, he's down at the cabins. Luke smiled, faded. We're having some issues with the campers. Listen, is everything cool with you? Is Grover all right? I'm right here, Grover called. He held the nozzle out to one side and stepped into Luke's line of vision. What kind of issues? Just then, a big Lincoln Continental pulled into the car wash with its stereo turned up to max hip-hop. As the car slid into the next stall, the bass from the subwoofers vibrated so much it shook the pavement. Chiron had to... What's that noise? Luke yelled. I'll take care of it, Annabeth yelled back, looking very relieved to have an excuse to get out of sight. Grover, come on. What? Grover said, but... Give Percy the nozzle and come on, she ordered. 
Grover muttered something about girls being harder to understand than the Oracle of Delphi. Then he handed me the spray gun and followed Annabeth. I readjusted the hose so I could keep the rainbow going and still see Luke. Chiron had to break up a fight, Luke shouted over the music. Things are getting pretty tense here, Percy. Word leaked out about the Zeus Poseidon standoff. We're not sure how. Probably the same scumbag who summoned the Hellhound. Now the campers are starting to take sides. It's shaping up like the Trojan War all over again. Aphrodite, Ares, and Apollo are backing Poseidon, more or less, and Athena's backing Zeus. I shuddered to think that Clarice's cabin would ever be on my dad's side for anything. In the next stall, I heard Annabeth and some guy arguing with each other. Then the music's volume decreased drastically. So, what's your status? Luke asked me. Chiron will be sorry he missed you. I told him pretty much everything, including my dreams. It felt so good to see him, to feel like I was back at camp, even for a few minutes. That I didn't realize how long I had talked until the beeper went off on the spray machine, and I realized I only had one more minute before the water shut off. I wish I could be there, Luke told me. We can't help much from here, I'm afraid. But listen, it had to be Hades, who took the master bolt. He was there at Olympus, at the winter solstice. I was chaperoning a field trip. We saw him. But Chiron said that the gods can't take others' magic items directly. That's true, Luke said, still troubled. Still, Hades has the helm of darkness. How could anybody else sneak into the throne room and steal the master bolt? You'd have to be invisible. We were both silent until Luke seemed to realize what he said. Oh, hey, he protested. I didn't mean Annabeth. She and I have known each other forever. She would never. I mean, she's like a little sister to me. I wonder if Annabeth would like that description. In the stall next to us, the music stopped completely, and a man screamed in terror, car door slammed, and the Lincoln peeled out of the car wash. You better go see what that was, Luke said. Listen, are you wearing the flying shoes? I'd feel better if I knew they'd done you some good. Oh, uh, yeah. I tried not to sound like a guilty liar. Yeah, they've come in handy. Really? He grinned. They fit in everything. The water started to shut off and the mist started to evaporate. We'll take care of yourself out there in Denver, Luke called, his voice getting fainter. And tell Grover, it'll be better this time. Nobody will get turned into a pine tree if he just... But the mist was gone and Luke's image faded into nothing. And I was alone in a wet, empty car wash stall. Annabeth and Grover came around the corner, laughing, but stopped when they saw my face. Annabeth's smile faded. What happened, Percy? What did Luke say? Not much, I lied, my stomach feeling as empty as the big three cabin. Come on, let's find some dinner. A few minutes later, we were sitting at a booth in a gleaming chrome diner. All around us, families were eating burgers and drinking malts and sodas. Finally, the waitress came over. She raised her eyebrows skeptically. Well... I said, we, um, wanted to order dinner. You kids have money to pay for that? Grover's lower lip quivered. I was afraid he'd start bleeding, or worse, started eating the linoleum. Annabeth looked ready to pass out from hunger. I was trying to think of a sob story for the waitress. When a rumble shook the whole building, a motorcycle the size of a baby elephant had pulled up to the curb. All conversation in the diner stopped. The motorcycle's headlights glared red, and its gas tanks had flames painted on it. A shotgun holster was riveted onto either side of it, completed with hot shotguns. The seat was leather, but leather that looked like, well, Caucasian human skin. 
The guy on the bike would have made a pro wrestler run for mama. He was dressed in a red muscle shirt and black jeans and a black leather duster with a hunting knife strapped to his thigh. He wore red wraparound shades and he had the cruelest, most brutal face I'd ever seen. Handsome, I guess, but wicked, with an oily black crew cut and cheeks that were scarred for many, many fights. The weird thing was, I felt like I'd seen his face somewhere before. As he walked into the diner, a hot, dry wind blew through the place. All the people rose as if they were hypnotized, but the biker waved his hand dismissively, and they all sat down again. Everyone went back to their normal conversations. The waitress blinked as if somebody had pressed the rewind button on her brain. She asked us again, You kids have money to pay for that? The biker said, It's on me. He slid into our booth, which was way too small for him, and crowded Annabeth against the window. He looked up at the waitress, who was gaping at him, and said, Are you still here? He pointed at her, and she stiffened. She turned around as if she'd been spun around, then marched back towards the kitchen. The biker looked at me, and I couldn't see his eyes behind the red shades, but I had a feeling that started to boil in my stomach. Anger, resentment, bitterness. I wanted to hit a wall. I wanted to pick a fight with somebody. Who did this guy think he was? He gave me a wicked grin. So, you're old Seawee's kid, huh? I should have been surprised, or scared, but instead, I felt like I was looking at my stepdad, Gabe. I wanted to rip this guy's head off. What's it to you? Annabeth's eyes flashed me a warning. Percy, this is... The biker raised his hand. So okay, he said. I don't mind a little attitude, long as you remember who's the boss. You know who I am, little cuz? Then it struck me why this guy had looked familiar. He had the same vicious sneer as some of the kids at Camp Half-Blood. The ones from Cabin 5. You're Clarice's dad. I said, Ares, god of war. Ares grinned and talked off his shades. Where his eyes should have been, there was only fire. Empty sockets glowing with miniature nuclear explosions. That's right, punk. I heard you broke Clarice's spear. She was asking for it. Probably. That's cool. I don't fight my kids' fights, you know. What I'm here for, I heard you were all in town and I got a little proposition for you. The waitress came back with a heaping trays of food, cheeseburgers, fries, onion rings, and chocolate shakes. Aries handed her a few gold drachmas. She looked nervously at the coins, but these aren't. Aries pulled out his huge knife and started cleaning his fingernails. Problem, sweetheart? The waitress swallowed and then left with the gold. You can't do that, I told Aries. You can't just threaten people with a knife. Aries laughed. Are you kidding? I love this country. Best place in Sparta. Don't you carry a weapon, punk? You should. Dangerous world out there. Which brings me to my proposition. I need you to do me a favor. What favor could I do for a god? Something a god doesn't have time to do himself. It's nothing much. I left my shield at an abandoned water park near here in town. And I was going on a little date with my girlfriend. We were interrupted. I left my shield behind. I want you to go fetch it for me. Why don't you go back and get it yourself? The fire in his eye sockets glowed a little harder. Why don't I turn you into a prairie dog and run you over with my holly? Because I don't feel like it. A god is giving you an opportunity to prove yourself, Percy Jackson. Will you prove yourself a coward? He leaned forward. Or maybe you only fight fights where there's a wyvern to dive into so your daddy can protect you. I wanted to punch this guy, but somehow I knew he was waiting for that. Aries' power was causing me to have anger. He'd love it if I attacked. I didn't want to give him that satisfaction. We're not interested, I said. We've already got a quest. Aries' fiery eyes made me see things I didn't want to see. 
blood and smoke and the corpses on the battlefield. I know all about your quest, punk. When that item was first stolen, Zeus sent out his best to look for it. Apollo, Athena, Artemis, and me. Naturally. If I couldn't snuff out that weapon that powerful, he licked his lips as if the very thought of the master bolt made him hungry. Well, if I couldn't find it, then you've got no hope. Nevertheless, I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. Your dad and I go way back. After all, I'm the one who told him about my suspicions about corpse breath. You told him Hades stole the bolt? Sure, framing somebody to start a war. All this trick in the book. I recognized it immediately. In a way, you got me to thank for your little quest. Thanks, I grumbled. Hey, I'm a generous guy. Just do my little job, and I'll help you on your way. I'll arrange a ride west for you and your friends. We're doing fine on our own. Yeah, right. No money, no wheels, no clue what you're up against. Help me out, and maybe I'll tell you something that you need to know. Something about your mom. My mom? He grinned. That got your attention. The water park that's a mile west on Delancey. You can't miss it. Look for the Tunnel of Love ride. What interrupted your date? I asked. Something scare you off? Ares bared his teeth. But I'd seen this threatening look before on Clarice. There was something false about it. Almost like he was nervous. You're lucky you met me, punk. And not one of the other Olympians. They're not as forgiven of rudeness as I am. I'll meet you back here when you're done. Do not disappoint me. After that, I must have fainted or fallen into a trance. Because when I opened my eyes again, Ares was gone. I might have thought the conversation had been a dream. But Grover and Annabeth's expressions told me otherwise. Not good, Grover said. Ares sought you out, Percy. This is not good. I stared out the window. The motorcycle had disappeared. Did Ares really know something about my mom, or was he just playing me? Now that he was gone and all the anger had drained out of me, I realized Ares must love to mess with people's emotions. That was his power, cracking up the passions so badly. They crowded your ability to think. It's probably some kind of trick, I said. Forget Ares. Let's just go. We can't, Annabeth said. Look, I hate Ares as much as anybody, but you cannot ignore the gods unless you want serious bad fortune. He wasn't kidding about turning you into a rodent. I looked down at my cheeseburger, which didn't seem so appetizing now. Why does he need us? It probably requires brains, Annabeth said. Ares has strength, but that's all he has. Even strength has to bow to wisdom sometimes. But this water park, he acted almost scared. What would make a war god run away like that? Annabeth and Grover glanced nervously at each other. Annabeth said, I'm afraid we'll have to find out. The sun was sinking behind the mountains by the time we found the water park. Judging from the sign, it had once been called Waterland, but now some of the letters were smashed out, so it read, Wat R and. The main gates was padlocked and topped with barbed wire. Inside, huge drywood water slides and tubes and pipes curled everywhere, leading to empty pools. Old tickets and advertisements fluttered about the asphalt. With night coming on, the place looks sad and creepy. If Ares brings his girlfriend here for a date, I said starting up the barbed wire, I'd hate to see what she looks like. Percy, Annabeth warned, be more respectful. Why? I thought you hated Ares. He's still a god, and his girlfriend is very temperamental. You do not want to insult her looks, Grover added. Who is she? Echidna? No, Aphrodite, Grover said dreamily goddess of love i thought she was married to somebody i said hephaestus what's your point he asked 
Oh, I suddenly felt the need to change the subject. So, how do we get in? Maya! Grover's shoes sprouted wings. He flew over the fence, did an unintended somersault in midair, then stumbled into a landing on the opposite side. He dusted off his jeans, as if he'd planned the whole thing. You guys coming? Annabeth and I had to climb the old-fashioned way, holding down the barbed wire for each other as we crawled over the top. The shadows grew longer as we walked through the park, checking out the attractions. There was the ankle biter island, head over wedgie, and dude, where's my swimsuit? No monsters came to get us. Nothing made the slightest noise. We found a souvenir shop that had been left open. Merchandise still lined the shelves. Snow gloves, pencils, postcards, and racks of clothes, Annabeth said. Fresh clothes. Yeah, I said, but you can't just watch me. She snatched an entire row of stuff off the racks and disappeared into the changing rooms. A few minutes later, she came out in a Waterland flower printed shorts, a big red Waterland t-shirt, and a commemorative Waterland surf shoes, and a Waterland backpack was slung over her shoulder, obviously stuffed with more goodies. What the heck? Grover shrugged. Soon, all three of us were decked out like walking advertisements for the defunct theme park. We continued to search for the Tunnel of Love and I'd got the feeling that the whole park was holding its breath. So, Aries and Aphrodite? I said, trying to keep my mind off the growing dark. They have a thing going? That's old gossip, Percy, Annabeth told me. 3,000-year-old gossip. What about Aphrodite's husband? Well, you know, she said. Hephaestus, the blacksmith. He was crippled when he was a baby, thrown off Mount Olympus by Zeus. He wasn't really that handsome. Clever with his hands and all, but Aphrodite isn't into brains and talent, you know? She likes bikers. Whatever. Hephaestus knows? Oh, sure, Annabeth said. He caught them together once. I mean, literally caught them in a golden net and invited all the gods to come and laugh at them. Hephaestus is always trying to embarrass them. That's why they mean out-of-the-way places like... She stopped and looked straight ahead. Like that. In front of us, an empty pool that would have been awesome for skateboarding. It was at least 50 yards across and shaped like a bowl. Around the rim, a bronze statue of Cupid stood guard with its wings spread and bows ready to fire. On the opposite side of us, the tunnel opened up, probably where the water was supposed to flow into when the pool was full. The sign above it read, Thrill Ride O Love, This Is Not Your Parents' Tunnel of Love. Grover crept towards the edge. Guys, look. Marooned at the bottom of the pool was a pink and white two-seater boat with a canopy over the top and little hearts painted all over it. In the left seat, glinting in the fading light, was Ares' shield, a polished circle bronze. This is too easy, I said. So we just walk down there and get it? Annabeth ran her fingers across the base of the nearest Cupid statue. There's a Greek letter carved here, she said. Etta, I wonder. Grover, I said, do you smell any monsters? He snuffed the wind. Nothing. Nothing like in the arch you didn't smell echidnas, nothing, or really nothing. Grover looked hurt. I told you, that was underground. Okay, I'm sorry. I took a deep breath. I'm going down there. I'll go with you. Grover didn't sound too enthusiastic about it, but I got the feeling he was trying to make up for what happened in St. Louis. No, I told him. I want you to stay up top with the flying shoes. You're the Red Baron, a flying ace, remember? I'll be counting on you for backup in case something goes wrong. Grover puffed his chest a little bit. Sure, but what could go wrong? I don't know, just a feeling. Annabeth, come with me. Are you kidding? She looked at me as if I dropped from the moon. Her cheeks were bright red. What's the problem now? I demanded. Me, go with you to the 
the thrill ride of love. How embarrassing is that? What if somebody saw me? Who is going to see you? But my faith was burning up now, too. Leave it to a girl to make everything complicated. Fine, I told her. I'll do it myself. But when I started down the side of the pool, she followed me, muttering about how boys always mess things up. We reached the boat. The shield was propped up in one seat, and next to it was a lady's silk scarf. I tried to imagine Ares and Aphrodite's here, a couple of gods meeting out in a junked yard of an amusement park ride. Why? Then I noticed something that I hadn't seen from up top. Mirrors all the way around the rim facing this spot. We could see ourselves no matter which direction we looked. That must have been it. While Ares and Aphrodite were smooching each other, they could look at their favorite people, themselves. I picked up the scarf. It shimmered pink, and the perfume was indescribable. Rose, or mountain laurel. Something good. I smiled, a little dreamy. I was about to rub the scarf against my cheek when Annabeth ripped it out from my hands and stuffed it in her pocket. Oh no, you do not. Stay away from that love magic. What? Just get the shield, seaweed brain, and let's get out of here. The moment I touched the shield, I knew we were in trouble. My hand broke through something that might have been connecting it to the dashboard. A cobweb, I thought. But then I looked at the strand of it on my home, and I saw some kind of metal filament. So fine, it was almost invisible. A tripwire. Wait, Annabeth said. Too late. There's another Greek letter on the side of the boat. Another Edda. This is a trap. Noise erupted all around us, of millions of gears grinding, as if the whole pool were turning into one giant machine. Grover yelled, Guys! Up on the rim, the Cupid statues were drawing their bows into firing positions. Before I could suggest taking cover, they shot. But not at us. They were firing at each other, across the rim of the pool. Silky cables trailing from the arrows, arcing over the pool and anchoring where they had landed, to form a huge golden asterisk. Then smaller metallic threads started weaving together magically between the main strands, making a net. We have to get out, I said. Duh, Annabeth said. I grabbed the shield and we ran, but going up the slope of the pool was not as easy as going down. Come on, Grover shouted. He's trying to hold open a section of the net for us, but wherever he touched it, the golden thread started to wrap around his hands. The cupid's heads popped open again, and out came video cameras. Spotlights rose up all around the pool, blinding us with illumination, and a loudspeaker boomed. Live to Olympus in one minute, 59 seconds, 58. Hephaestus! Annabeth screamed. I'm so stupid! Edda is H! He made this trap to catch his wife with Ares. Now we're going to broadcast live to Olympus and look like absolute fools! We almost made it to the rim when a row of mirrors opened up like hatches and thousands of tiny metallic things poured out. Annabeth screamed. It was an army of wind-up creepy crawlies, bronze-geared bodies, spindly legs, and little pincer mouths, all scuttling towards us in a wave of clacking and whirling metal. Spiders! Annabeth said. Sp- Sp- I'd never seen her before like this. She fell backwards in terrors and almost got overwhelmed by a spider robot before I pulled her up and dragged her back towards the boat. The things were coming out from all around the rim now, millions of them, flooding towards the center of the pool, completely surrounding us. I told myself they probably weren't programmed to kill, just corral us and bite us and make us look stupid. Then again, this was a trap meant for gods, and we weren't gods. Annabeth and I climbed into the boat. I started to kick away the spiders as they swarmed aboard, 
I yelled at Annabeth to help me, but she's too paralyzed to do much more than scream. 30, 29, called the loudspeakers. The spiders started spitting out strands of metal thread, trying to tie us down. The strands were easy to break through at first, but there were so many of them, and the spiders just kept coming. I kicked one away from Annabeth's legs, and its pincers took a chunk out of my new surf shoes. Grover hovered above the pool in his flying sneakers, trying to pull the net loose, but it wouldn't budge. Think, I told myself. Think. The tunnel of love entrance was under the net. We could use it as an exit, except that it was blocked by millions of robot spiders. Fourteen. Annabeth and I climbed into the boat. I started to kick away the spiders as they swarmed aboard. I yelled at Annabeth to help me, but she's too paralyzed to do much more than scream. Thirty. Twenty-nine, called the loudspeakers. The spiders started spitting out strands of metal thread, trying to tie us down. The strands were easy to break through at first, but there were so many of them, and the spiders just kept coming. I kicked one away from Annabeth's legs, and its pincers took a chunk out of my new surf shoes. Grover hovered above the pool in his flying sneakers, trying to pull the net loose, but it wouldn't budge. Think, I told myself, think. The tunnel of love entrance was under the net. We could use it as an exit, except that it was blocked by millions of robot spiders. Fifteen! Fourteen! The loudspeaker called. Water, I thought. Where does the water from the ride come from? Then I saw them. Huge water pipes behind the mirrors, where the spiders had come from. And above the net, next to one of the cupids, a glass-windowed booth that must have been the controller station. Grover, I yelled, get to that booth! Find the on switch! But do it! It was a crazy hope, but it was our only chance. The spiders were all over the prow of the bow now. Annabeth was screaming her head off. I had to get us out of here. Grover was in the controller booth now, slamming away at the buttons. Five! Four! Grover looked up at me hopelessly, raising his hands, letting me know that he'd push every button, but nothing was happening. I tried to close my eyes and thought about waves, rushing water, the Mississippi River. I felt a familiar tug in my gut, and I tried to imagine that I was dragging the ocean all the way to Denver. Two, one, zero. Water exploded out of the pipes. It roared into the pool, sweeping away the spiders. I pulled Annabeth into the seat next to me and fastened her seatbelt, just as the tidal wave slammed into our boat, over the top, whisking the spiders away and dousing us completely, but not capsizing us. The boat turned, lifted in the flood, and spun in circles around the whirlpool. The water was full of short-circuiting spiders, some of them smashing against the pool's concrete walls with such force that they burst. Spotlights glared down at us. The cupid camps were rolling, live to Olympus. But I could only concentrate on controlling the boat. I willed the tide to the current to keep it from the wall. Maybe it was my imagination, but the boat seemed to respond. At least it didn't break into a million pieces. We spun around one last time, the water level now almost high enough to shred us against the metal net. Then the boat's nose turned towards the tunnel and we rocketed through the darkness. Annabeth and I held tight, both of us screaming, just as the boat shot curls and hugged corners and took 45-degree plunges past pictures of Romeo and Juliet and a bunch of other Valentine's Day stuff. Then we were out of the tunnel, the night's air whistling through our hair as the boat barreled straight towards the exit. If the ride had been working order, we would have sailed off the ramp between the golden gates of love and splashed down safely in the exit pool. But there was a problem. The gates of love were chained. Two boats had already been washed out of the tunnel before us and were now piled against a barricade. One submerged, the other cracked in half. 
Unfasten your seatbelt, I yelled to Annabeth. Are you crazy? Unless you want to get smashed to death. I strapped Aerie's shield to my arm. We're going to have to jump for it. My idea was simple and insane. As the boat struck, we would use its force like a springboard to jump the gate. I heard of people surviving car crashes that way, getting thrown 30 or 40 feet away from the accident. With luck, we'd land in the pool. Annabeth seemed to understand. She grabbed my hand as the gates got closer. On my mark, I said. No, on my mark! What? Simple physics, she yelled. Force times the trajectory angle. Fine, I shouted. On your mark! She hesitated, hesitated, then yelled, Now! Crack! Annabeth was right. If we jump when I thought we should have, we would have crashed into the gates. She got us maximum lift. Unfortunately, that was more than we needed. Our boat smashed into the pileup, and we were thrown into the air, straight over the gates, over the pool, and down towards solid asphalt. Something grabbed me from behind. Annabeth yelled, Ouch! Grover! In midair, he had grabbed me by the shirt and Annabeth by the arm. He was trying to pull us out of the crash landing, but Annabeth and I had all the momentum. You're too heavy, Grover said. We're going down! We spiraled towards the ground. Grover did his best to slow the fall. We smashed into a photo board. Grover's head going straight into the hole where Taurus would put their faces, pretending to be Nunu the friendly whale. Annabeth and I tumbled to the ground, banged up, but alive. Aerie's shield was still on my arm. Once we caught our breath, Annabeth and I got Grover out of the photo board and thanked him for saving our lives. I looked back at the thrill ride of love. The water was subsiding. Our boat had been smashed into pieces against the gate. A hundred yards away at the entrance pool, the cupids were still filming. The statues had swiveled so their cameras were trained straight onto us. The spotlight in our faces. Show's over, I yelled. Thank you and good night. The cupids turned back to their original positions. The lights shut off. The park went quiet and dark again, except for the gentle trickle of water into the thrill ride of love's exit pool. I wondered if Olympus had got a commercial break or if her ratings had been any good. I hated being teased. I hated being tricked. And I had plenty of experience handling bullies who liked to do that stuff to me. I hefted the shield on my arm and turned to my friends. We need to have a little talk with Aries.